Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously, and the podcast about rugby that, until the last seven days, was very smug in its relentless energy and ability to to churn out episodes week on week on week <laughs> without any gap for the last ten years, uh, well, into our eleventh season. That is still true, technically, but um, not in the not in the manner we would. Uh, not, not in the manner you've become accustomed. Anyway, more on that in a little bit. I'm Tim in the Rugby Dungeon uh, with JB. Hello, Tim. And uh, Philip is saving lives by proxy down the line. How are you doing, Phil? I, I think we're all saving lives, actually, um, by proxy. So, yes, doing very well, very smug about myself, <laughs> saving all those lives. Yes. Uh, that might sound strange unless you realise Phil's <laughs> wife is uh, an anaesthetist and is, uh, is, is working, so... Phil can't be with us because he's got two small children. I, I mean, I, if your kids can't be self-sufficient, at what age now, Phil? Um, well, they're still technically two and four. Although, technically? Uh, what, what, are they five and six, are they? <laughs> well, five um, and six. In, in five days, one will be three. Right. And in uh, eight days, the other will be five. Oh, big so. week. Big week. And Valentine's Day, if you... Oh, that's the week after, if you, if you go in for all that rubbish. Anyway, yeah, I think um, I'm going to say two things. I think we deserve, or people deserve, an explanation. But I also think we should not do that right away on the podcast because there's so much amazing rugby to talk about. So we should put a pin in what happened in France, and we should we should open that Pandora's box in a little bit. Does that sound all right? Sounds good to me. Excellent. Great. Right, Six Nations. I, does does this not, every single February, just remind you how much and why you love this tournament? Uh, to be honest, this weekend's been an absolute blur. So, um, yes, it does, <laughs> because it's one of the weekends when I can actually inspire people to come and watch rugby, non-rugby people to go and watch rugby. So I took a group of people out uh, to, on Saturday to watch two games um, from my CrossFit box, which is very good fun, and I watched the Friday game. But yeah, it is exactly because it is the Six Nations and all of that around it, which is why you can mobilise civilians to actually watch this great game. Yeah, and what was so? What was because um, Manchester is typically a, well, it is a football Massive city, football and city. rugby is just way down the list. So it's one of the least rugby places. Well, how in the UK? Hang on, hang on. I'm going to just push back against that. Oh yeah, bit. go on. So 
I'm not entirely sure that it is the least rugby place. I just think football is so massive. So I don't think there's like less rugby here than say, uh, well, Newcastle's another massive yeah. uh, football city. Absolutely. I'm just trying to think of another comparable city. It's like well, not all, all of the northern cities. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's less rugby here. It's just that, God, they love football. I mean, they really love football. So I think it's more a testament to how big football is. But there's a huge rugby community here. We've got loads of good teams. Um, and yeah, it's a little bit niche. But yeah, it's a, I'd say it's a pretty so, strong community. So what were the pubs like in Manchester? What were the bars? Full of football places? fans. <laughs> <laughs> Full of them. Now, we went to a place in Northern Quarter because we knew it would be playing. And... Tip Street Tavern there, which is where I like to watch my rugby now. And it was packed. I uh, watched the Premiership final there. I've watched all sorts of things there. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty good for it. Cool. Well, Phil, where did you watch the games? Uh, all at home. Um, Lovely. Unfortunately, because um, as well as working tonight, Claire's been working since, uh, well, actually, since about 7 a.m. on Friday morning. <laughs> going. So I've, I've basically been solo parenting uh, for the weekend much like she was last weekend Slash. so much easier though, isn't yeah. it uh, yeah well, it, right so here's the thing which i will i'm going to admit right so on this podcast we're really honest we we bear all and we will do when we talk about paris uh, but uh, i'm going to say the thing which i i think but i probably shouldn't say i was in cardiff for wales v scotland the game was amazing the atmosphere was incredible i loved watching the wales and scotland fans the like the banter and the camaraderie it was absolutely awesome overall i'm quite envious of you phil watching <laughs> it on your sofa not because when when you're actually there uh, there's nowhere else i'd want to be it's amazing but the the faff involved particularly when you live in manchester and the games in cardiff it'd be fine if you were in bristol and popping over yeah but uh Oh man, just the queue for the trains, and I I queued oh, up the train station. God, I, I queued up. I queued up at Cardiff Central train station, and they they let the train through that I was going to be getting on, and I was the first person when they pushed the barrier in front of me, not letting me through to the train. Brilliant. So I had to wait uh, for another forty eight minutes for the next train. It was horrendous in the rain. It was it was horrendous. But oh. but the actual game itself with the roof on was was incredible. You know, it's it's funny you mention that because I've never really been that fond of Cardiff as a rugby city. Now, it's obviously got incredible heritage. And saying that, literally as I say that, I can remember all of the phenomenal times <laughs> yeah. in Cardiff. Yeah. So, in the Six Nations back in the day, we would get in the car from Manchester. My friends from North Wales would, would, would pick me up. Um, dear friend of the board, Bryn Williams, we would fly down to Cardiff at speeds which are not appropriate, <laughs> uh, get there, and then just drink ourselves silly for two days. Now, the problem with rugby, I found this yesterday and I found this out in Japan and I probably found it out last uh, last week in Paris. I just, the more, depends what you want from it. But if you really enjoy the game, like, and I do really enjoy the game, you can't really drink. Uh, that's, that is where I've come to now. I do drink, um, but if I'm drinking, I know that the game of rugby is not going to be as enjoyable because you just can't watch it. You've got to concentrate. Like, if you turn off for five minutes and then you look back up at the screen and the teams can be in a different quarter of the field. I can give you a perfect example of this. During the Rugby World Cup, the, that, um, that incredible quarter-final weekend, on, uh, I, I was in Marseille so that they were the two games in the evening, early evening, and then the late kickoffs were the games in Paris. On the first night, I went straight from the whatever game it was. Was it, 
was it England, England, Fiji, whatever it was. And I went straight there and I went down to the port in Marseille to get on it whilst watching Ireland, New Zealand. So excited. And the next day I felt like I hadn't, in, I hadn't actually, I'd, en- I'd enjoyed my night, but I hadn't absorbed the rugby. And I, f- so, so, so I spent the next night, bearing in mind I was in France, I spent the next night and I watched South Africa, France. I watched that on my laptop in the camper van, yes. completely on my own. And the difference being is, if you're watching it with people who are not watching it, they want to talk to you, then you won't. So actually, when I watch rugby with you and Phil, that's completely different because I'm constantly talking about the game. And because you're talking about the game and what's happening on the field that reinforces what you're seeing and it's good for the podcast. If you're watching it over a beer, forget it. Like, if you're with people who don't want to watch it, forget it. If you're in the rugby club and everyone's fo- focused on it, yeah, that, that'll work. But it's when nobody is watching it and everyone wants to chat and there's other things to, you know, draw your attention away, you're just not going to enjoy it. And for that reason, so, it may have been a slight um, silver lining that there was no proper podcast last I can't weekend because, because I don't know what we would have talked about. Do you know, I don't remember a single thing <laughs> from that game. Bordeaux, Stade Francais and Toulouse. Uh, no, ra- Bordeaux, Rassing Toulouse. Bordeaux, Stade Francais I remember quite, 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 quite a lot of. Uh, the Rassing game, I remember watching Khaleesi uh, do a few nice things but not being worth the money. And that's it. Really? That was it. So anyway, I, I so remember the, I remember oh. Dupont, uh, and I remember Blair Kinghorn's Blair languid Kinghorn. running. Style. Oh, he was good, yeah. wasn't he? Actually, yeah. to be fair, yeah, yeah. So maybe uh, I remember H- more than I'm... Henry Ar- Henry Arundel did nothing as well. Yeah, he his his world's going to change drastically next season. <laughs> drastically change. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So I tell you what, let's start on Friday night. So we. He, we all actually watch this game, right? Yep. Properly, yes. with no beers involved. Yeah, there's so many things to talk about. It, it's so, game. What a game. It was a good game. Well, was it a good game? Was, was, yeah. was it what a game? Go on, you tell me why, and I'll tell you why well, I was no, kind of disappointed. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a competitive game, but uh, and France were disappointing. So this, 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 the, the contrast in this game, I think, bubbles down to two teams that have reacted to World Cup disappointment in two very different ways. Mm. I think France are still morning and I think they're still hungover. I was I was in France at the World Cup and honestly the next day it was like there'd been a a, a massive uh catastrophe in the country like <laughs> some terrorist attack or 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 a, or a very high profile death or something. It was just eerie. The, suddenly rugby <clears throat> didn't exist and all those posters of Dupont everywhere on every bus stop just kind of I don't know. Went. They just sort of they had an apocalyptic feel to They it. felt grey, yeah. So I just think France haven't got over it. They were building up for that World Cup, a home World Cup for a good decade, putting all the processes in place, building up their players. They had this proper swagger. And I, I, they've changed all their coaching staff since. Some of the real big names that they were relied upon the last few years, like Dante, Villemza, just looked shadows of themselves. And, um, and obviously their captain and talisman wasn't there. I don't know. What do you think, Phil? Um. I, I think you can definitely make that argument and probably that's that's the argument I would go for. Um, I was interested to read Dan Bigger's comments on this where he said it's it's not um, a hangover as much as it is the um, attrition of the top 14 versus the strategic player management of the IRFU and where all the top 14 players just immediately had to go back to the meat grinder and the, the IRFU were able to manage their players. And I think from, from Bigger's perspective, mm. there's a there's a little bit of a dig. Or no, is it a dig or is it 
a little bit sour grapes. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, not quite sure. Dan Bigger, but... you're getting you're getting rewarded handsomely for that meat grinder. Yeah. Exactly. There, there's something to that. Now he's he's obviously got the um, perception of playing in the URC or Rabo Direct or whatever you want to call it. Rainbow Pro 14. Cup. Rainbow Cup. Yeah, maybe he didn't play in the Rainbow Cup, but playing in the rest of it um, against the island players who were very well managed um, and generally to Dan Bigger's detriment that <laughs> they were they were well managed. So it's, it's maybe two reasons for him to be a little bit uh, sour about it. But that is that is maybe, there is probably a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, France for me, they just sort of reverted back to who we kind of thought they were originally. They've always been a superb, superbly talented team with superb forwards, well, just superb talent. But occasionally they don't show up. And I think the World Cup really focused their attention. And now the World Cup's not, not there. So I don't think it's a hangover. I just think you're seeing what France really are. This is France. This is it. And I remember watching this and thinking, God, yeah, it tells a story about France, but that's why I love them. But it also tells me why I hate Ireland so much. And <laughs> it's like, well done, guys. You've won, you've won this game. But ultimately... What was the point? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, well, congratulations for peaking it exactly the right time, which was approximately one game after the World Cup. You absolute heroes. And they'll be joyous about this now. They'll be like, this is one of the most significant victories. No, 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 no. It's just a victory after one of your most significant ever losses. And it's just, the, it's exactly what both these teams are. Uh, France, you know, unfocused and talented. Ireland absolutely magnificent when nobody cares, and that's, that's what happened. Well, I was I wasn't quite going to frame it in that way, but I was going to talk about Ireland because um, they, Ireland did a brilliant job of um, shutting down France, and they, they shut them down for seventy plus minutes of this game. France got um, their dander up a couple of times right at the end of that first half when they scored the uh, Pernod try after countless enormous phases and offload and fastball. Mm. And then again, midway through the second half when they scored the second try. Besides that, Ireland just shut them down. Like completely, completely shut shut France down. Wrecked their line out. It almost, yeah, yeah, wrecked the line out, um, adequate the scrum, allowed Ireland to get fastball when they wanted to. Generally, apart from those two moments, shut the... French or slowed the French ball down um, and handled those massive French forwards um, with one of the one I thought it was an absolutely huge performance from McCarthy. He was, he was class, wasn't he? So even Andy Farrell, him. even Andy Farrell calls him Big Joe. So I think <laughs> I think if Andy Farrell calls him Big Joe, I think that we, we I'm happy to adopt that moniker. Big yeah. Big Joe was immense, and Ireland have got a legitimate tight head lock. And I was trying to think, what's the last legit tight head lock they've had? Well, anyone's had really. I mean, there's like Devon Devon Toner. Yeah, Devon Toner. Yeah, Dev, but even Dev him. I mean, was, was he a tight head lock? Uh, yes, yeah, he was. He was, yeah, he he was, was big. He was tall. <clears> but you wouldn't <throat> want him to. I mean, he couldn't do what McCarthy does. McCarthy's carrying his just brilliant it's Etzebeth-esque do you know McCarthy though I know he's a different type of player but his carrying is more reminiscent of Henderson just explosive in, explosive mm. into contact so actually in terms of you know, the last tight head lock 
depending on what you want him to do, if you wanted just a big bloke to push in the scrum, that's slightly different. But his carrying was good. So yeah, maybe Henderson. Um, in yeah. The Six Nations, I don't think there's been that many explosive carriers like him. But yeah, he, he looked great. Uh, I loved to watch him. I loved him. And I loved their new 10. Uh, what's his name again? Crowley. 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 Yeah. Jack Crowley. Yeah, yeah, he was very good. So those, yeah, Jack- those are the two that stood out for me. Jack Crowley got me thinking of um, something that you often talk about, GB. Um, we, we talk about on the pod, the um, graveyards are full of indispensable men. This is exactly what I was thinking when I was watching him. Exactly, and exactly it. God, he was so good. He was so composed. His distribution was so good. His kicking, both off the tee and out of hand, was so good. Well, there was he that one looked- moment when he... When he um- Missed the kick in front of the post from 40 metres and then Tomar Ramos scored. And so it went from, it could have been 13-0 and it went to 10-3. Yeah. And I did think at that point, oh, is this, is this international rugby pressure? Just getting to Jack Crowley. and But actually, he, he did this the other week. I forget the game it was he was playing for Munster. It might have been Bayonne in the Champions Cup. And he, he, he had a, a shocker early on and then just got a man of the match performance, just grew into it. And he just looked so mature. Yeah, it's exactly what Alan needed. And... I've been talking about this for a little while. I, I'm not saying it was the wrong thing to do, and I'm not saying that I wouldn't have done it, or that there's not massive utility in older players, because you've heard about my plan of setting up a club <clears throat> and only having players aged 35 and over, right? Yeah. So, But the Sexton thing must have cost Ireland millions and millions of pounds, not just to pay him, which is one thing, but also to pay him not to play, which was most of what he did, and then pay for other players to play in his place. And then in addition to that, the cost of not being able to put someone in the Irish 10 jersey for well, a significant amounts of time. I, I'm going to agree and disagree. I think all of that was vindicated because Johnny Sexton was a generational talent. However, however, and this is... But he well, lost the quarterfinal. No, no, no. Well, this is, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I would actually put this on Andy Farrell's shoulders. The one mistake, the one big mistake he has made as Ireland head coach, as I see it, was not taking Johnny Sexton off after about 50 minutes of that quarterfinal because he was dead on his feet. And I think Mm. it was a sentimental decision to keep him on the field. And I think had he changed it for... Was Jack Crowley on the bench that day? Was it Ross Byrne? I forget. I think it might have been Jack Crowley. Anyway, whoever it was. I think it it was. I think it was was Jack Crowley. Crowley. If if he'd brought Jack Crowley on with with half an hour to go, I think Ireland win. I think Ireland beat New Zealand. I think it's a good... Yeah, why not? So I'm, I'm sure that's something Andy Farrell has probably reflected on. And I take your, your broader point that all the eggs were in that Sexton basket and therefore he, when it came to a World Cup, he didn't have the confidence to take off Johnny Sexton with yeah. n- with nothing I mean, left in the tank. Imagine the story of taking off. They lost a quarterfinal and everyone says, OK, well, you know, lost. no one's really pointed any fingers at Andy Farrell. I, I don't think I would either. They got beaten by a, be- by a better team. And that happens in, in rugby. But had he not started... Sexton and lost the quarterfinal, then he probably would have lost his job. Well, yeah, well, yeah, I, I guess so. I, and I'm also just going to slightly. Uh, there's, I've been thinking about this in with with the point you made about Ireland, you know, winning a game when no when no one cares. I I think there's definitely a balance here, and I was reflecting on the fact England had a, had a relatively good World Cup, almost getting to a World Cup final, being beaten very narrowly by the eventual champions, finishing third. Ireland got knocked out at a quarter-final. However, the, the four years 
the last four years I've been miserable being an England fan yep. until that semi-final <laughs> whereas Irish fans have had a wild time of it yeah, but first ever want... series win in New Zealand and on New Zealand sort of grand slams like actually there's something to be said for taking the, the pots and taking the success and the wins wherever they come and having a good time along the way okay would you rather the dull misery of being an England fan with a spike of joy at the end or would you in, or would you like the dull enjoyment of being an Ireland fan with a spike of misery at the end if, if I could have chosen the last four years I'd, I'd be an Ireland fan no with, question with a spike of misery for the World Cup quarterfinal yeah 100% done okay I mean that's I don't think that's fine I mean that's that, that, that's a trade trade off that you make and for me, the biggest Ireland game is not going to be in the Six Nations. It's going to be in the Heineken Cup. That is the biggest Ireland game. And if they lose that, then, you know, the Six Nations to me doesn't really matter that much for Ireland this year. It'll be the Heineken Cup. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the Six Nations, it, it, enjoy every success. Enjoy every um, success, get absolutely smashed, and then fail to win the competition that you've been trying to win for so long again only one team can only one team can (laughs) it's not going to be an Irish team unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) well they look really good the big players and when you look at the age profile of the players that really stepped up Jack Crowley's what 24 Uh, Joe McCarthy's 22 Caelan Doris has still got lots of years in him he was immense it's uh, they're in in a good place yeah if I was an Irish fan uh, I'd be so excited about the two players that, that we've spoken about I mean, like, really excited. It's, it is great to see. And they do need a turnover, turnover of leadership. So, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and with that game, the opening game on a f- the Friday night of the Six Nations, is the Six Nations now over? No. No, it, uh, it, potentially, it depends how next weekend goes. It's interesting that the rounds one and round two, the biggest game of the weekend is the first match that we watch. Yeah. So next weekend, Saturday, first up, the 2.15 kickoff is it, that is Scotland against is. France. If Scotland yeah. managed to win that, then it could be all on a Grand Slam decider in Dublin on the, on, on the final day. That's England. On Super Saturday. I assume England have got something to say about this. Well, England have got to go to Murrayfield. So yeah, England do have something to say about that. And they could, well, obviously they could beat Scotland in Murrayfield. But what I'm saying is this feels significant for Scotland, bearing in mind the way the game went yesterday. And also for France, bearing in mind they lost on Friday night. It feels huge, this game. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Now, um, we- I do I do have to say, uh, it's a big game, but I just can't see Scotland beating uh, France and then going away to Dublin, which is what I'm pretty certain they will have to do um, in order to win. Because Ireland are not going to lose another game. Ireland are not going to lose to England. Ireland are not going to lose to Wales. And Ireland are not going to lose to Italy. That's so, right I, I think, I think, unfortunately, the tournament is done because <laughs> Ireland are just going to walk it from here. Yeah. Be good if there was relegation, wouldn't there? No. Or, <laughs> why? Why? No. A relegation um, playoff. Because then, then, then how exciting would uh, Italy-Wales or, or Wales-England be? <laughs> well, we wouldn't be watching it, um, it, Italy-Wales. They'd have been relegated a long time ago. So, um, yeah. Um, just something which I found myself thinking on Friday night, which is, I can't believe I've got something in common with the Change the change the Behaviour Brigade. Because Paul Wil- Wilhelmsy, or whatever his name is, has to change his behaviour. That he was ridiculous. The second one. It's the second oh. one particularly, the one he got given a straight red card for. I did actually have an element of sympathy on his first one. <laughs> I don't disagree it was a yellow card. 
by the current laws of the game. But I also have sympathy because he was kind of supporting a player in the in that in that sort of tackle breakdown area. I was and, astonished it was a yellow card for the first one. Really? Not because I wouldn't get it. You thought it was a straight red? No, no, I just thought it was astonishing. I think we are winning the argument on the head injuries and how the game should be played. So the fact that that was yellow... Is really good for me, but I was astonished that Dixon didn't give a red. I thought he'd have given a red just because of the pressure he comes under. But I think he, well, he he def- he he deferred the call, didn't he? You're not allowed to give reds now, are you? Are you? Do they have to go to? I no, no, a referee to. can give them. I think they yeah. have to go. To, I think they all have to go to. I don't. I don't think it's have to. I think the referee mm, says it meets it meets the threshold. Therefore, you're in the. It goes to the bunker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's. There is you can still give a red on the pitch, but the incentive is not to give a red on the pitch because yeah. unless it is you've punched someone in the face or um, clearly kicked someone in the head or something like that, just let just um, discharge the decision to a subordinate who's yeah. got ten minutes to deal with it. So yeah, uh, <laughs> the first one I was a sp- and very surprised it wasn't red, and the second one. I thought, bloody hell, he's just giving him no choice now. Like, you mm. can't... The only way he stays on the field is if he doesn't get a yellow card, and there's no way you can not give that man a yellow card, bearing well, in mind what he's just done. So, yeah, happens. The, just on the, the kind of winning the argument, the... Luke um, Crosby. Yeah, Luke Crosby. The simil- It was yes. kind of similar. Similar to, to the, the first, first one. Yeah. The first yellow card. But the, there was a clear difference in that Crosby was binding on and... Uh, Valenza was not binding on but other than that it was quite a similar decision I love that uh, not even a penalty was given for that mm, yeah I, I was I imagining that, was that it was going to be oh I've mitigated it so it's yellow or even uh, mitigated again and it's a penalty I love the fact that there was an acknowledgement from the official was it was it Ben O'Keefe in that game it was yes yeah, and there was an acknowledgement from Ben O'Keefe that accidents happen in rugby and you, you cannot avoid head contact correct Correct, yeah. correct, 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 correct. All things are correct. And yeah, it is good to see. Yes. But Vilemsa, he's got to do something different. <laughs> I mean, he's probably he's probably going to get a... He, he might not even get another chance, even if he um, is available for the last Six Nations game uh, in this tournament, just because, well, you know, he's just <laughs> just had um, <laughs> two, two yellow cards yeah. of which... The second yellow card obviously makes a red card, and then the second yellow card got upgraded to a red card. Is this the first player in history to maybe get two reds, two reds in the same <laughs> well, game? He, he didn't technically get two reds, but I know what you mean. Well, he's got two yellows. That's a red, and then he got a red from his yellow. Yeah, but the, the second yeah. yellow was, was doesn't exist anymore when it got upgraded to a red. Uh, I'm giving him two reds for this. <laughs> yeah, double he's double is fine. <laughs> His ban should be enormous, just just for that, <laughs> just for the administrative time it has taken. With all that said, did done. you feel a little? I just felt sorry for the guy. He's never, yeah, he's I probably did. never going to play for France again. He's been a brilliant player for them. He only got back in because there was a bunch of injuries, and you, and uh, he missed out on the World Cup. And he comes back, and then that happens. Yeah. Well, do you know? There's only the best way to redeem yourself in international rugby. Well, do you know what it is? The best way, and he can do this. Uh, he's one of the few players that can do it. Be 130 <laughs> kilograms. It's amazing what they'll let you get away with. I thought you were going to say, JB, the best thing that he he's one of the few players who is eligible to do is defect and go and win a World <laughs> Cup with South Africa. Yeah, stop playing. Oh, hang on, is it five years he needs to stop playing for? Three. Uh, it's three. <sighs> 
So he, if he stopped playing now, he would just be available for the next World Cup. Razzie loves picking like thirty-six-year-olds. Christ, with Jean, all that experience Jean, as well. Jean Klein, like the last one, like last World Cup. Yeah, Paul Willems has stopped playing, win a World Cup in four years. Pulling on the Springbok Green, that'd be amazing. Wouldn't <laughs> that, it? that would be fun. Yes, do that, do that, one hundred percent, do that. Just like Alec Hepburn pulled on the Blue of Scotland this weekend. Yes, yes he did. Yes, he did. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, but just before I do, just on on the Marseille thing, I think you've got a sense of what the stadium was like from this game. That stadium is insane. But how good was it hearing a national anthem without a child's choir backing it up? That Marseillaise was amazing. Yeah, that's one part of the World Cup I'm not sad to see the back of. Yes, agreed. Scotland. So the first thing I'm going to say about Scotland is... If you're with a bunch of people that don't understand rugby, probably the best thing you can do is watch is make them watch Finn Russell. That, that's easily the best thing because everyone can understand that that guy is a genius. He really is. Yeah. Do you know the, yeah. the the thing that impressed me most about Finn Russell was the way he spoke after the game as captain. But was he captain? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Do you know we've not spoken about Finn Russell's appearance on the Netflix documentary? Yeah, well, because we missed a week, and we also yeah, so that the, happened. Well, this so in the post match interview after the game, he he said among among the various things he said was there's a lot of a lot of our guys need to have a, a look in the mirror because they were not doing what what we what they were told. I was saying to them we were giving away so many penalties. I was saying to them do not go into the rucks, and some of them kept going into the rucks, and it yeah. and the, it was so refreshing to hear a player be so open. And honest and willing to actually criticise his teammates. Yeah, yeah. On TV, you, you just never hear interviews like that. And I thought it was awesome. And that that is a little bit like the the insight from the Netflix thing. You actually, he felt like he was more open book Greg than most. And you is. and you got you got the sense that Finn Russell would have been okay with the cameras <laughs> completely following him round. Yeah, in, fact, in, in a way that in a way that they did not. The teams did not let the cameras happen. Yeah. So, what was Finn's quote? Gregor has his ideas. I have my ideas. Yeah, I'm on the field. Okay, yeah. guess that's, that's and then a laugh. Good, he it? said that with a laugh. But I'm the one oh, on the yeah. field. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, many a true word is spoken in jest. Oh, Gregor's made him captain, so I think he knows. Yeah, because Gregor's job is c- totally reliant on him playing. In fact, Gregor's legacy is entirely based on Finn Russell winning games. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not surprised. And look at what the guy is doing at Bath. So. You know, he's revitalised Bath. The guy's just a, a brilliant, brilliant player for rugby. And do you know what's even better about him? When I was sitting down and I was explaining to people who... Well, I didn't bother explaining who anyone else is because everyone else is basically much an identical r- r- rugby player. They're massive. They're impressive uh, human specimens. And then here's this slopey-shouldered guy sort of sauntering around the field. But that there is the best rugby player maybe on the planet. He's certainly one of the best in the Six Nations and he'll be the best today. And and he was. He was absolutely brilliant. Well, sometimes he's brilliant. He had moments of magic. Yeah. You could say to your CrossFit uh, colleagues, you would beat him in most wads. Yeah. But that guy is the best rugby player. Do you know that working out that we do every single day? Yeah, all that? Waste of time. <laughs> Total waste of time. <laughs> So oh the um, well, I tell you who is a absolute physical specimen though. I, oh, goodness me, that Dewan Van der Merwe try. Wow, the first one he scores. I mean, the second one he scores is all about Finn Russell, and that was beautiful in its in its own right. He has got. So, I mean, he's a big bloke, and we know that he's strong. We know that he does not get enough credit for how fast he is to go on the outside of an international winger and not be touched yeah. at that size. Is 
quite extraordinary. I think only in the Six Nations, Lewis Rees Summit's not there. I would say he could finish, that, make that finish. Yeah. Damien Penno, I think, is the only other winger in the Six Nations that could have finished that. I, I can only think that if it's not his raw speed, maybe his size makes people hesitant to commit in the way that they otherwise would do, which allows him to get on the outside. But, yeah, that's an international winger. And he doesn't... He, I don't think he got touched. He, yeah, he didn't. He did not get touched. That, that, that was his second try, wasn't it? The one Just, just after, after half-time, half-time 27-0 they were at that point. Did he get three tries? <clears throat> Two. Two. No, that was his first try. No, fir- first try was... The Finn uh, Russell one. The Finn Russell ghosting through. Uh, yes. Yes. Right, OK, I've got them. Yeah, yeah. So it was the start of the second half, uh, round, the outs, round the right winger. Uh, sorry, the round the the um yeah round the Wales right. No, round the, round the Wales left wing. It was Duan on the on the opposite on his opposite wing, wasn't it? Yeah, something happened. Yeah. And Duan scored an amazing try. It was an incredible try. At which point they were twenty seven nil up, and it was honestly the, the the I was at the Principality Stadium. It was dead. It was like a library <laughs> at that point. The atmosphere before the game was amazing. First quarter of an hour, it was pretty good. It was just eerily quiet, and then it just went. Off last thirty minutes wasn't it? The Wild last thirty minutes was. I mean, you end up saying, "How did Wales not?" I mean, yeah, how did Wales not win this? You go from a position of saying, "How have Scotland not buried them?" to "How did Wales not win this?" It was was it twenty six unanswered points? Yeah, yes. Goodness yeah, yeah. me! I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. Twenty seven nil until twenty six twenty seven. It had, it had it was definitely it was reminiscent of Scotland at Twickenham. About five years ago. Yeah. Although somehow different, wasn't it? Because <clears throat> Scotland ripped England to pieces. You know, they went, I remember the, the Hugh Jones try. I don't know if it was Hugh Jones actually scored, but I remember the pass to Hugh Jones. And it was a different kind of, it's a different kind of game. Well, this one is a bit more gritty. It came yeah, from, this was lots of penalties given away by Scotland. Yeah. Kick, kick to the corner and the Welsh Mall was awesome. Well, before, when it was 20 points to nil, did you notice the penalty starts? It's like four penalties Wales had given away to however many Scotland had. And Scotland were in like double digits. I thought, bloody hell, that's strange. I've never seen a team give away so few penalties and get so badly beaten. But it seemed to come back and, and haunt them later on. Mm. Well, that, that that was a big story of the game, I think. Because um, in, in the first half, it, it was... Um, Wales gave away. They gave. I think it was four in the first half, and I think it was four all game that Wales gave away. That's incredible. That is. Scotland gave away sixteen penalties, but the story of the first half was Wales just couldn't do anything with them. So mm. at the end of the first half, in the last five minutes, Scotland gave away five penalties in their own half. The first three were kicked into the corner, and Wales missed all three lineouts. So you have three back-to-back-to-back lineouts in Scotland's 22. Miss, miss, miss. The fourth penalty, they kicked to the corner and missed Missed it. Yeah, that's when Yo and Lloyd had just come on. And the fifth penalty to finish the first half, they managed to kick it into touch, finally secure a line-out, and Nick Tompkins immediately knocks on on the first phase. Yeah. So you've had five back-to-back-to-back. It was just the last five minutes was all... Scotland penalty, Wales territory. Scotland penalty, and it, they just couldn't do a single thing with it. And also, I think David Jenkins knocks on the ball with a big carry. Mm. So he knocked on maybe first no. half, just spilled yeah. the ball. Cheers. That was, that was earlier on in yeah. the first half, in, in a good position as well. <clears throat> yeah. So I 
was trying to work out what the game plan was for us. I'm, yeah, I'm just sorry, trying to work out everything in my head. So the game plan for Wales seemed a bit odd. Um, I just it, want to it, revisit the it, penalty thing as yeah, well, cool. because like that truly is remarkable for such a young and experienced team to give away so few penalties. I mean, the discipline mm. across the team and with the injuries to be that cohesive, not to give away penalties, and not to panic as well. You're 20 points down, I, you're still not giving away penalties. That is, that's pretty special, actually. I do wonder... I do wonder how much of it was um, because you know how referees, they will say that they don't, but they always will a little bit, even things up. Yeah. And because, because Wales were getting so badly hammered and couldn't get anything right. And with a big crowd behind them or well, a crowd behind them um, and a big crowd when they got going behind them, I, I'm not sure if you played this again, again in different circumstances, whether, the penalty counts would end up the same. <clears throat> I didn't know if I was being out of turn in saying so, or like, uh, but but I had exactly the same thought. And there were a few of the decisions I was going, and, and a few times Wales were lying all over Scottish ball, going. I thought we just saw the when when Scotland did that a minute ago, you were straight on the whistle, and then yeah. So I think there there might be a bit of that, which you always get. Maybe that's just the, that's why it's so hard to win away from home, which is why, despite I, I know it will feel a bit like a loss, even though they they won. For the first time in Cardiff in 22 years, no less. Um, and But that shouldn't be taken lightly. It's a, it's a win nonetheless. But at the same time, Wales have got a bit of hope. In terms of the game plan that Wales were playing that you touched on, Jay. What was it? To play off nine. Hmm. Like Gareth Davis was the main playmaker and he had an absolute shocker. <laughs> yeah. got, ta- got taken off at half-time. Thomas Williams was so much better. But what about the kicking game that they were playing with? So they had Costello deep and they were just hoisting up. Yeah, for the most part they were doing box kicks and then they were just, like you say, Cost- Costello back in the pocket when they had a couple of phases. If it didn't work, either Gareth Davis would go to the air or Costello would um, sit back in the pocket. So, but neither of them were very good. So that's great, OK? That is a marvellous strategy if you feel you're like the best defensive team on the planet. So South Africa would be pretty good at that, I guess. England can do that very well. But when you've got these young lads, and it's not a heavyweight team either, is it? So I, I find that a bit strange. And when they did do well, I thought the strengths of the team were, I thought David Jenkins' carrying was great, uh, really good. Wainwright was devastating at times. Tommy Rafael at the breakdown was really yeah, good. Yeah, he was good. And moving it side to side, I thought they looked really good. <clears throat> yeah. The guy who I wasn't impressed with was the new fullback, Winnett. Uh, I thought he was all right. I thought Watkin was the one that I didn't think played very well. Yeah, to the point that I don't remember anything he did. So at least, at least I remember the bad things that, that, that Winnett did. I thought Winnett did all right. Yeah, so he, at the end he had a lovely touch. I can't remember what it was for, but he had, he had a really nice touch. But other than that, the most damning thing I can say about a player is that they look hesitant. So he gets the ball and he just doesn't accelerate. He doesn't look confident with it. And then when, as he's hitting the line, he just looks weak. He looks weak and, and, and he's, he's, he's 19. He's only played a handful of senior games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you put it like that, I feel very harsh saying it. But that's just my, <laughs> that's just my impression of watching him yeah. in that game. So I didn't know he was 19. I know nothing about him just saying what I saw. So I feel awful now. But yeah, he looked, <laughs> he looked hesitant. Um, yeah. That is very damning. But tell you who looked hesitant when they were 19 was Joe Cockney-Singer. I've always said that. Looks hesitant. So mm. they've got to work out the game and it is a fast game. Yeah. Well, actually, Wales had nothing else they could do. 27-0 down. They had to let the shackles off. And the game plan that they were clearly trying to do and couldn't execute, they had to just throw away. And actually, Johan Lloyd did really well when he came on in that, in that context. And it seemed like the Wales players were more comfortable. Rio Dyer looked really 
into it when that was happening. God, he played really well. He played really well. So I, I think there's an element, and you know, Barry John passed away this weekend. Mm-hmm. Welsh legend, the king, as he was known, and. That you you always talk Jay about leaning into the DNA of a club or a or a team. When I think of Wales, I think of like ha- the, the skill set to play expansively when it's on. And I and I don't think I think Gatlin should allow these youngsters to do that a bit more because they actually seem really comfortable doing that. Mm, uh, what do I think? I mean, the problem is I've kind of grown up on a steady diet of Warren Gatlin now since. Well, he took over. When did he take over? God knows how long ago. So, 2007, yeah, 2008. To me, Wales then. is just gritty staying in the game. And occasionally they like to play. Occasionally they can play. Actually, to be fair, maybe a Gatlin game is play that way, pound, 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 pound for 60 minutes and then let it go yeah. when the other team's knackered. Like He will do whatever works. I, I think Warren Gatlin looks at his box of toys and thinks, hmm, we don't really have what we need to play this game plan. We'll play something else. And that's just how Wales... I've always done, done things. I thought Tompkins actually looked like an absolute hero. Again, last 30 minutes, everyone did. But I feel he might even have captaincy potential going forward for Wales. Particularly if something happens to Jenkins. Jenkins is going to grow into one hell of a player. Yeah, mm. One hell of a player. He looks so calm. There was all the pyrotechnics going off. There was the smoke in the tunnel. He was standing there. The camera was right in front of him. He could hear the noise and it was so loud. And you just saw him on the big screen. As he was walking, as he was in the tunnel, ready to walk out, and he just looked so chilled. Was he like twenty one? Twenty one. Yeah, and he's not going to get weaker, is he? No, you're not saying he's not going to get. You know, this isn't the peak. His carrying is great. I, I like him carrying just a slight, slightly wider off nine. He'd make some serious yardage. I, I, I love it. In fact, mm. and Wayne Wright out wide, dynamite. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, Wayne Wright in that last thirty minutes was amazing. Oh. Yeah, I don't know really where I stand on Wales now. Imagine, so this is, I just want to contrast Wales versus Ireland a second. But the privilege that Ireland have of taking two really talented youngsters and bleeding them into an experienced team compared to what Wales have, which is, let's rip it all up and start again. I just feel like Wales, they are always ripping it up and starting again. So if they can keep this lot together for a while, but there again, they've got players to come back too. Yeah, it's not going to be an absolute disaster and that's encouraging. The only thing with this, my concern with this uh, Wales team will be I, th- I think there is some positive green shoots and they will certainly be building on that last 30 minutes is that um, had a few other things not gone their way they could have been 50 points down they yeah. could have been 40 or 50 to nil down uh, and that would there would be no green shoots in that situation and if they're not careful against well, specifically um, Ireland or France, that will be exactly what happens. Yeah, and it's very difficult with this team to kind of assess, was this a success or was it not? And it's inexperienced mm. because it's the inexperience that probably meant that they messed up all those lineouts, that they didn't make touch, that they did, that made all those mistakes. Probably the same inexperience that allows them to play such expansive rugby, you know, making the right decisions. Now, just going back to the, the Netflix full contact thing, there wasn't nearly enough access to the teams, the team talks, the meetings in the dressing room during games. If they have not got that dressing room mic'd up at half time for both teams and full time, properly mic'd up and all access, 
I want to know what Warren Gatlin was saying. Do you reckon he was absolutely roasting his team or because they're kids, do you reckon he was trying to just strategically solve problems? I legitimately have no idea. Which is weird, isn't it? You'd think you'd have an idea after watching rugby for so long. He said it was the the worst half of uh, the, any Wales team under him has ever played. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's a big shout, isn't it? Yeah. But he, he, also, he also said after the game that... like. Um, Rook speed and line out were two things to fix. And they did, like, unequivocally, they fixed their rook speed and line out, or certainly they were considerably better in the second half. So it, yeah. it might just be as simple as that, yeah. but with a few more, with a few more uh, Kiwi expletives yeah. thrown in. Gatland is very similar to me, to Rob Baxter, which is he manages to reduce a very... Sorry, I thought you were saying Gatland is very similar to me. <laughs> As in to you? Oh no no no! Gal- See, it's no. very similar to me as uh, Rob. Yeah, it's a terrible wording. He's very similar to Rob Baxter, which is um, <laughs> that he can take a very complex game like rugby, and you look at the Welsh. If you looked at the Welsh performance at halftime, and us three sat down and tried to dissect what was happening, say, "Oh, the lineup was terrible." We, we'd we'd describe all the symptoms, and we'd be right to describe symptoms, but we wouldn't get the underlying cause. What makes Gatland and Baxter so brilliant is they just get the underlying cause. They'll put, put, point out two things, and then they fix those two things, and most of the symptoms disappear. Well, uh, again, two two things he did, which sol- which helped to solve the line out and the ruck speed issue, is he 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 removed his hooker and scrum half from the field. Yep, it's good. Yeah, that 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 will do it for you. <clears throat> yeah, so, yeah, pretty- yeah, bold bold calls, but they worked. And the and the um, Johan Lloyd we already mentioned, but the Johan Lloyd swap for Costello uh, that worked well. I know that was an enforced change, but yeah. um, that um, helped speed things up as well. Tell you what, as a pair of fly halves, they don't inspire confidence. They're not rock stars, are they? <laughs> it's not like having um, Untermack and Jalibert as your like one it's and not. two, or or Farrell and Ford as your Moonga and Dmac. Yeah. Or, yeah, or even, exactly. Even Finn Smith, Marcus Smith, and Ford. Yeah, you know, there's so many good fly halves, and Wales have got two guys. Hopefully, they'll come good. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're, they're young, and they're, they've got enough talent that, with enough experience, they can come good. Yeah. Okay. Before we talk about rugby anymore, let's 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 do this. Let's go there. So, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, thank you very much for listening. Um. <laughs> You may well be just finding us for the very first time because this is Six Nations and you're interested in rugby. We are always there for you, 52 weeks of the year, every single Monday morning. And that was technically true last week, mm-hmm. but not really. Uh, we had a weekend away in Paris. Our friend of the pod and Egg Chasers Sevens team member, Lewis. And General or, Fixer. General Fixer. L- Lewis organised an absolutely belting week in Paris. We... We had a, an apartment that was literally next to the Arc de Triomphe. It was 50 metres away from the Arc de Triomphe. It was a sensational location. Brilliant weekend. We were there to watch Racing 92 versus Toulouse, which we went to watch on Sunday night. Phil's already mentioned the um, the shocking work rate of Henry Arundel. And <laughs> fantastic quads, though, uh, to, give him, to give him credit. Jack Willis was immense. Yes. Was. Bla- Blair Kinghorn was great. We saw Antoine Dupont in his final game for a while for Toulouse. Uh, but there was no podcast uh, for the three of us as we would have liked to have done it on Monday morning. Who who wants to who wants to start? Oh, sorry, I thought we were going to talk for a second then about um, 
about child abuse in rugby. <laughs> I, that's what I thought you said. Uh, like, let's do it. I thought we were going to talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about France. Um, we'll talk about the child abuse thing in a second, sh- shall we? Sure. Yes. Okay. Um, where shall Where shall we start, boys? I know. I know. Well, I, I know. I know where you should start, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm, I'm not going to force you to do it. Well, so we were to record at four o'clock. I think this is quite a good story. And instead of recording at four o'clock, we thought, well, we can push it back a bit. We can have, we can have a few beers. And we did have a few beers. And we had a few beers with a good friend of mine, Ben, and his good friend, Paul. So Ben and Paul came, came to join us, and it turns out that Ben and Paul know a thing or two about rugby. Would you, would you agree? I would, although I would correct what you're saying. You're saying is, uh, when I was called to come for a beer with Ben and Paul... Uh, the what I was told, I could, I could even I've even got the message here. If if you want, if you want me to play it, yeah. oh, here it is. Right, listen up. So, oh, sorry, I'm listening. I'm listening on one point five speed, which I always do. Um, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> right, listen up. So we're going to do this podcast shortly. My friend Ben is in Paris, and he's with Paul Gustard right now. They've invited us for a drink. We should go meet Paul Gustard and Ben now for half an hour or so, and then do the podcast in a bar or somewhere immediately after. Right, so I, which which meant that I went, okay, well, that's pretty cool. Phil's reply is perfect, uh, and I replied, okay. So I got all of the podcast gear together in my rucksack. Thought, brilliant, we can have a quick quick beer. Say hello to Paul Gustard, do the podcast. Um, so you've already changed the story from what from what from what you said originally to is what that, happened. Is that not exactly what I said? We're going to podcast at four o'clock, and we went to meet Ben and Paul for a beer instead. Uh, is that literally no, you exactly said, you what said, happened? So we'll meet them. We'll have a beer. Uh, for half, we'll see them for half an hour, have a beer, and then do the podcast. That's what you said. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. Anyway, and go on, Phil. I was going to say, and plans were fluid in, in my head because it's not often you get to meet um, someone with, or certainly Tim Cocker. You you frequently hang out in these circles, but for for JB and I, it's not that often we get to. Um, have a beer with someone with such experience and insight as Gustard, mm. especially when, and it, I think this is key because, um, especially when they're uh, off the clock or talking as freely as Gustard was. <laughs> he really was. Which we cannot go into, obviously, as you understand. We, we can talk, we could talk some themes. We yes. can't talk too many specifics. But <laughs> I, I know lots about I, his Stade Francais squad. Yeah. I I thought, <laughs> oh yeah, that's with definitely some of that is unrepeatable. Um, I found it genuinely one of the most fascin- fascinating rugby conversations I've been involved in, uh, particularly from the perspective that we often offer on the podcast, which is every single player he spoke about was not just the player, it was the player and the money. It was yeah. the player and the finance. It was the player and how much of his salary cap uh, in the UK or in England and in France that player is taken up, whether they're EQP or GIF qualified. Like those like, like business and rugby and finance and salary cap decisions that every single time he talks about a player, he is running the numbers on all of that. It's incredible. I found it. I found it truly, truly fascinating. I did. Do you know what I found? But the the one memorable thing that he said uh, was, and it seems to be the trend when you speak to anyone in rugby, 
who know who really knows what they're talking about, and you can't argue that a former England coach, uh, current coach at Racing ninety two, and an incredible CV in between, you cannot argue he doesn't know exactly what he's talking about. Everyone within rugby says, with one voice. Owen oh, Fa- you're not going to turn. Owen Farrell. You're not going to take that out of the whole conversation, are you? Owen- of all the things you could take, that's what you're taking, is it? He said, and he was talking in the present tense, not just in the past tense. He was saying Owen Farrell. He said Owen Farrell is England's best fly half. <laughs> yes, he did, yes. and he's absolutely right. He and, is absolutely and, right, and that man, and that man gets that man gets respect from people that know most. And he and he and Owen Farrell gets the crap from quite often the people oh my the people God, that know least. Oh Owen Farrell bit. <laughs> oh wow, I had to. that's incredible. I had to. Go on, anyway, carry on. Outstanding. I, I think I'll get on you a bit later. Then. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right about the numbers, Phil. You're absolutely right, and I think it's getting more and more difficult to understand rugby if you don't understand the numbers, because you have yes. to have a very in-depth knowledge of finance. Financing rugby players, all all the qualifications, as in like what you were saying before about the GIF, the salary cap, who's excluded, who's on sal- uh, who's on academy contracts, all the rest of it. So yeah, finance at the moment it's just so important, and I don't think you can divorce that. And if you do divorce it, i.e., you separate out the two roles, which I think there's an argument for. Maybe you're looking at pure coaching and then pure sort of back office. Oh, um, the, the conversations again. Yeah. We'll have we'll have to not betray trust there, but the conversations about Harlequins were dynamite as well. They were, weren't they? Hey, Phil, if you wanted to understand finance, where would you go? Uh, I would, of course, go to Beardmore & Co. Independent Financial Advisor. That's a great <laughs> idea. Uh, yeah, you can follow, find, find me on LinkedIn. There you go. So, well, um, hold on, hold on. Boys, you haven't done something which I think was the should be the first thing that you did. And I don't want to have to... I don't want to have to draw it out of you like some school teacher. What's this now? Flipping apologise. <laughs> um, so... I, I w- you're not I that stubborn. Apo- you're not going to apologise to our listeners for not doing a podcast. So, I, I think we sh- I think we should all apologise because I I think I think we should because it was JB you Tim at that point you wanted to stop beers with Gustard and JB and I wanted to continue. I was I was pecking you for about because again yeah I have chatted to Paul Gustard several times before but I but what what I was doing I was thinking of our amazing listeners who put us there in Paris in the first place. And that's why I was pecking you every every like ten minutes or so. We really need to do a podcast, lads. Come on, come on, come on. Continue your thought, well, Will. So I'm I am I am very happy to apologise for that. Um I will um I'll apologize for not um stopping, but I will also say I thought it was um I think I think the podcast, not just now, long term will be brighter for us uh, not stopping and having a few more juicy um Heineken's with Guzzy. Um, yeah. So yeah, the beers were we, warm. We, Did you not think the beers themselves were poor in that hotel? No, no, the beers. I, were, the chat was amazing. The beers were terrible. No, 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 no. The beers weren't warm. The conversation was red hot. <laughs> <That's what happened. laughs> I, I quite like when I'm on the on the continent uh, in, in France. I quite like being served a little tulip glass with mm. a big bit of foam on top, mm. big, like a, a head. Uh, poking out by an inch or so, <laughs> the top, <laughs> top of the tulip glass. So I, I can tell you some of the questions that I asked. Hold on, hold on. So for, yeah, Phil's apologised. Yeah, you want to say, JB? I, and I echo Phil's, Phil's sentiments. We should have got a <laughs> podcast out. We could have done one at half time. We could have done one. At no, we couldn't have done. Yeah, we could have. And if, we should have. But we if didn't. you'd have wanted me, okay. The, the, the way to have got a podcast done at the at the Russing Toulouse game would have involved me one 
not watching the game that we went to Paris to watch. I can't remember what we watched anyway. And which Lewis <laughs> organised the whole weekend around. But Lewis isn't there. Lewis isn't there. Lewis was there. Or meeting any mates ever uh, of, the, of that group. If it wasn't for the podcast anyway, so he'll uh, he'll be fine oh. if he's forty minutes. That wh- I'd ra- I'd rather I'd rather tell I'd uh, yeah well fine it's fine I'd I'd rather have not I'd rather have spent time with the boys that we were there I, on I the weekend with than Paul Gustard. I literally I literally could not be more polar opposite to you. I would dump everybody in a heartbeat. Clearly, to go and have beers <laughs> with somebody with more prominence. Uh, there is there is not a. A shred of doubt in my mind that that's what I would do and that's <laughs> I what I should do. I know. So, I know. Uh, and besides, no, I'll leave it at that. I think that's a strong enough point. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll leave the boys we were in Paris with to work out what the next sentence one, might have been. 100%. 100%. I would leave the boys in, in, in Paris who have come because we're all friends via the podcast because I'm talking to Paul Gustard to improve the thing which got us all to Paris in the first place. Because mm. it is those conversations and it's those little uh, hooks into different personalities and people in rugby and the conversation we have on a continual basis, or at least I certainly do, which I think adds so much value. Well, to the that actually, what, what you're saying in one sense does remind me of of uh, the first night we spent in Paris when Phil and I had been there for a few hours and you kind of arrived and we went out. Um, JB is officially the most impulsive man I know. 100%. Because, we, so we were out, and it, it was quite a quiet Friday night. It was the end of January, and we were not really finding places that were kind of buzzing. You're, you, I don't know if you you remember this on the Friday night, Phil. So basically, after we went to a few places, and it was kind of not really bouncing, Phil did his research and went, okay, I've worked out where the lively places are. Uh, well, we need to head that direction. And we all decided, right, now let's just let's walk for a bit. We need to, We need to get some walking done. So we get to in the right part of town, and it was—it's amazing. It's like goldfish memory. JB goes, "Okay, yeah, cool, right, we'll do some walking." And then, literally, the next place with any amount of people in it, JB's like, "Let's go in there, boys. Let's That's go in exactly here. What we Let's go do. in there. That's exactly what we should do." <laughs> I, I think I had your backing on that, Phil. Yeah, oh, it was fine. It was fine. It was just fine. I'm not. I wasn't complaining about oh, that. Who remembers the singer? Who remembers the singer? I do. Be do. Be do. Be do. I remember her. Some of the worst jazz I've ever seen. I mean, some of the, there's never been a bigger differential between how good someone thinks they are and how bad they are. Or how good someone looks and how good someone sounds. Oh, she looked so magnificent, right? She looked so great that it is very clear that no one's ever told her she's terrible at jazz. <laughs> because why would you? Why would you? If, even if she came up to me and I was absolutely disgusted by her, horrified by her performance, I would tell her she is great. Um, you can see this is a clear... Um, a clear trend in her life. To to be clear, JB. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. 
Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When I was saying you're impulsive, that was that was not meant to be a, I'm complaining about how Friday night went. It just it just made me laugh. It, and as you say, you end up in places that you're you weren't you're not expecting to be. And the that, secrets of adventure. That's wonderful. The secrets of adventure. Well, one thing one thing after the weekend on the sun on the Monday morning, Lewis did say to me because of that impulsivity, which it's uh, it is something to behold. It is it really is. Uh, Lewis said, "Ah, oh, Tim, I I finally understand how you how you missed." the start of that Italy-New Zealand game and how you boys basically left at a half-time. Yeah, has to be done, doesn't it? <laughs> has to yeah, be done. Good times. Do, do like a good continental adventure. Yeah. But it was the, that. Um, the, the other good story is, um, how, how, I guess it leads to us actually um, uh, doing some research for the pod because it led to us watching the Stade Francais uh, Bordeaux game. Yes. With was our Saturday morning, midday, early afternoon, late afternoon adventure. Yeah, late afternoon, no. early evening this adventure. Is, our is... late morning, early afternoon, late afternoon, early evening adventure. Yeah. This is a great example, right, of how things which are superficially, particularly for men, right, only men can get away with this. Women can't do it, but men can definitely do it, right, which is how bad situations can actually turn out great for men because we actually love a bit of hardship and we love um, like that sort of randomness and all the rest of it. So imagine that we were three women. This would never work, would it? That we get, we go for a little run, we get locked out of our apartment for six hours, and yet we manage to have an absolutely banging time and get absolutely <laughs> smashed. They would be horrified of yeah. using one credit card, not doing their hair, not getting dressed, not going out. <clears throat> but actually, that's exactly what we did. We were in our gym kits for eight hours? Yeah, it was eight hours. <laughs> so at, at about 10 a.m. in the morning, we went out for... JB, Phil and I went out for a run... None of us took our phones. Nope. Uh, and Phil, fortunately, had a credit card in his pocket. When we got back to the apartment, no one, none of the other boys were in there. And because we didn't have our phones, we had no access to what the code to get in was or contact any of the boys to ask them or get them to come back and let us in. So consequently, we were stuck on a very cold January day in just our gym kit. So we decided we would pass the time... By just going to local eateries on the way. Well, we started with a coffee. Nearby. Then we had another coffee. And then we got upsold by the very charismatic... Yeah, that's right. The very charismatic waiter for some cognac. Yeah, that's right. He was like, coffee, coffee. And he went, oh, it was was about uh, not even midday by this point. He said, oh, cognac, cognac. Let's point out, right, what amazing foresight by that man. I don't know if even I would try and sell three cognacs to three guys in gym kit. It just isn't, it's just not how it goes, is it? You see three guys in, in their workout gear, you don't, you don't really think they're going to want three lots of hard spirits immediately, do you? And then the biggest beers I've ever seen. It was yes. like Steins, two pint Steins or something. Yeah. He brought us some of those yeah. over. And we had, uh, Phil gave us a little architectural quiz on the makeup of Parisian roofs, which were made of zinc, I believe. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, in the, in oh, the yeah. Houseman. And then we went to the next, Houseman buildings. That's right. Then we went to the next place, which showed us the Bordeaux game. And we watched the Bordeaux Stade Francais game. Bordeaux, which was tremendous. It was a really good game, that. It really was a good game, that Bordeaux backline. But they lost. Yeah, Stade Francais won. They lost, which is uh, incredible. And that, and we were obviously well prepped to speak to the Stade Francais uh, director of rugby the following evening, having watched that game in some depth. Wasn't the Jeremy Ward story interesting? 
So, the first off, I'm say their captain when they came to sale, he might even be the club captain, I don't know. But there's a guy called Jeremy Ward who plays 13 or 12, usually 13, I understand. 13, yeah. And they found him because they were scouting Andre Esterhazen. And then this guy kept on replacing whoever, Lucano Am, was it? Yeah, Lucano Am, yeah. yeah. I was like, who is this guy who's replacing Lucano Am? He's class. And then they bought him and put him, um, put him to work at Stade Francais, which is a really cool story. You never know. Yeah. Who's, you never know who's watching Dean. Yeah, that that was cool. That was really cool because they they were also yeah, Esther Hazen and um, Lucan Yuan were two people that were trying to scout and oh well actually this guy's really good. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot cheaper than uh, Lucan Yuan. A lot cheaper. Now, with, <laughs> but the numbers thing. Do what I got thinking about that, which is the numbers in rugby aren't quite right, are they? Because they keep on talking about how much these players cost not how much they cost to them. So I keep saying, oh, someone's worth 25 grand. But they're all worth 25 grand, for instance, if they're playing for Leicester Tigers. But you can't get that same player for 25 grand, can you? So they're always talking with false numbers. Yeah, I guess it's it's how much they're paying them, as in how much my salary cap is taken up by this guy. Yeah. Uh, how I was reading it. Let's not talk about the player. Let's not talk about the player. But there was a player who's played... Substant multiple t- multiple amounts that Don Brown was. I was like, why, why, why? Five, yeah, a player that was six when Don Brown <laughs> six first, Don yeah, five or six times what Don Brown was being paid when Don Brown first burst onto this. And team. even when Don Brown first arrived, he was far far greater in value on the rugby pitch than this individual was who was being paid many multiples now this is not yeah. this is not my point i've never actually said this or if i have said it i've always given the quotes to somebody else but mark evans always points out that gustard should get a lot of credit for the harlequins team that subsequently won the premiership because of mm-hmm. the of the recruitment it was his recruitment that did so well when they finally won, and that'd be Esther Hazen, that'd be Green, and there's a few others, and there's a few others too. It's, a, it's an interesting point because I don't. To be frank, I never gave him much credit for anything he did at Harlequins, and still probably don't in hindsight. Well, actually, mm. one of the elements which um, I think we quizzed Paul Gustard on, and I think which came out, and he wasn't blowing his own trumpet with this, but is that he was. I was going to say beneficiary, but it's the opposite of whatever the beneficiary. He 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 had to deal with contracts which John Kingston had signed, which maybe weren't great value for the club. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? And because so he was hamstrung by those. I think it's really interesting because every time a director of rugby comes in, so during football, they always say, oh, it's the fitness of the boys. So they always blame like the fitness. We've got new fit, fitness regimes and so forth. I think in rugby, the thing is now with the contracts. You know, I've always got to deal with someone else's contracts. And by definition, a, a director of rugby will be valuing different players very, very differently, depending on what their style is, depending on what they value as an individual. I mean, there's so many other things. So it doesn't really surprise me that he didn't like the Kingston contracts. And I bet you if you put <coughs> Kingston in right now, he wouldn't let uh, he wouldn't like the latest set of contracts yep, by whoever that's it is. That's fair. And, yeah. Very fair. I think this goes round and round. It's um, very hard in rugby, and this is why Leicester Tigers have done so well with their recruitment, to find a director of rugby to replace your outgoing director of rugby who likes the contracts that you have. Very, mm. very difficult. Mm. Fair. So what, one final thing on this <clears throat> um, guzzy conversation, because uh, I was reflecting on it this week, and... It's 
it just cemented in my mind something that um, I've definitely said, I think all of us have said in the past, which is from a fan's perspective when you're watching any club rugby, um, but particularly in the um, English Premiership, because the salary cap is so tight, it would be so much better if there was transparency over the players' contracts. Oh, yes. because then, because then you could understand the decision why player X is there or player Y is there uh, because they're a, a quarter of player Z. Or you could actually get angry and say, "Well, hang on a minute, twenty percent of my entire playing budget is made up by these two players, and yeah. they're not—they're not there half the time." Exactly. It, would, right. it really would. It would help. And because, like the NFL. It's all transparent, isn't it? All player contracts, you know what everyone is paid. Do you know it what? It would help so much with fan engagement. You have scrum success, you have line-out success, you have points scored, points conceded, all the things on the stats in the build-ups of the game. And the one stat they should have, it's probably more important than any other stat, is money on the field. Starting mm-hmm. money on the field. It could be Bristol. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bristol have gone into a game with less than £2 million on the field. Yeah, uh, yeah, a, a, and a, a yeah. Ov- obviously, that is a very low percentage of their total, but h- huge swathes of their total. Um, Just their uh, injuries. Being, being t- yeah, being tied up in like four players, five players who are av- unavailable either through international or injury or both. Yeah, so that would be the key thing. Like when Bath comes to town, how much money is on that field? And the closer you are to four million or whatever the cap number is. That would be how the betting markets would probably operate best, by what money is on the field. And then you'd know, all, you know how about this? Average money on the field compared to points. So you might end up four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you've got the lowest average money on the field. That's what they need to do. I mean, why, why do I have to solve all of rugby's problems on a constant basis for everybody? Yeah. <laughs> I, I really think it's there is a big <clears throat> trick being missed there. It, it would be so good for transparency and for engagement. <sighs> Why Never mind. They need to listen to us more. Can we do um, a, a, a short Patreon pod with maybe peeling back some more layers on that conversation and some more memories and stories from Paris? I think that's the least we deserve to give our patrons. Do I have to do it t- tonight? Yeah, we said we, said we would. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Either... Or do we do it next week? No, because we definitely we definitely do a Patreon pod. We've got we've got to. All right. Well, All right. let's give everyone what they want. Some England chat. Yes. Here we go. What? Or or some some Italy oh. chat. Or some child abuse chat. <laughs> let's do England and then let's do this child abuse story. Okay. Okay. Right. I'm going to be honest, uh, of all the games, this is the one I spent the least time watching. Um, I was very impressed with some of the stuff that Italy did. In fact, I was really impressed with some of the uh, stuff Italy did. But then I couldn't really work out, am I impressed with what Italy did, or were England just very confused in defence? Um, England England were definitely confused in defence at times. At times. They, I thought they sh- for most of the second half, they seemed to get their um, act together. And shut Italy down, bar, apart from the last five minutes, in the first half, and there was two tries, and particularly the second one, I think it was, the Tommaso Allen try. Yeah, they looked phenomenally confused when when the ball breaks from the left hand side. Yeah, that was, that was off first phase as well. It's off a line out. 
Was it first phase off the line now? I think it was. I think. It, oh no, it was it turnover? No, no. no I'm think. I'm getting it, confused with the um, the one of the Scotland tries. Anyway, it doesn't matter. If yeah, I mean, if it was, I don't think. I don't think the second try, the Tommaso Allen try, was. If it was um, no, first phase off a line out, um, that would be the most confused backline you could ever possibly see because it was Joe Marler and yeah, Ollie no, Chesson and in the ten twelve channels. So that's a, that's a problem if that's how you set up your yeah. line out. Your, your, <laughs> your primary line out jumper and one of your primary lifters. Yeah, no, obviously I'm mistaken on that on that front. But in the words of Brian Habana on that Sage advert, England looks oh. slow in the turn. Oh my God. word! The less we talk about the Six Nations adverts, for the benefit of adult na- adult nappies, Brian Habana still going on about being slow in the turn. What is Brian Hanna's, uh, Brian Habana's business, by the way? I have no idea. I have no idea what Brian Habana does. Um, uh, do we want to mention the other famous star who's in lots of adverts at the moment? What the the. Spot motorway sponsoring oh, the God, Six Nations with Lawrence Delalio. It's heartbreaking. She's a winner. He's a winner. Yeah, he's a winner. Um, on the day after he got uh, banned from driving for six months. Oh, Lawrence, it's not good, is it? Which it- probably means he doesn't. He does have a car to sell, quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Do you remember um, Bernie Madoff, the uh, Stamford? Is it Stamford? His company, Bernie Madoff. Stamford Associates. Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so there's, there was two big pyramid schemes, wasn't there? There was Stamford Associates and there was another one. Um, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae and all that jazz. No, no, that, that, was, that was not similar no. to that. It was... Uh, I can't remember exactly, exactly what it was. Anyway, doesn't matter. We'll, we'll come, come back to that. One of the upshots of that is a lot of people who were formerly rich then had to do lots of work which they otherwise wouldn't. And do you remember the actor... Is it Kevin Bacon? Yep. Started doing all the EE e- e- adverts. That's because yes. he lost all of, the, all of his money through um, through Bernie Madoff. Is that right? That is right, yeah. Wow, Correct. I didn't know that. Yeah, and yeah. It's one of these like really demeaning things where, oh, I just feel sorry for the guy. Uh, now, the motorway adverts, I mean, I mean, yeah, well, first of all, they're awful. Um, and then, yeah, second of all, I guess you've got to pay your tax bill somehow, haven't you? So, you know, I completely appreciate where you've got to do it, but I don't like watching them. <laughs> <laughs> makes you sad it does make me it actually does make me really sad <laughs> I quite like seeing who is investing in the money that is paying for the rugby that I'm watching in that sense like yes. like, like people talk about BBC free to air the BBC is is, uh, is not free to air it's, it's like, not free it's £159 taking me 10 per years, household it's taking me 10 years to persuade you of this but yes the BBC <laughs> is not free <laughs> So at least, at least ITV is actually legitimately free to air. Although you have to pay the hundred fifty nine pounds to the BBC in order to be able to, <laughs> to watch technically ITV. watch it. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, good good pundits as well. Just generally talking, I, I think there's been an upgrade. You mentioned Dan Bigger already. Um, it's part of the it's part of the team. Uh, that will be for ITV when when the Wales games come. But you've no Sir Clive. No, Sir Clive. Sadly, we've still got to put up with Sonia McLaughlin, uh, who's not apologised for her ex- Exeter tweet yet, which is interesting because I wanted to talk about that later. Still no, still nothing from Ugo Monia apologising for his um, Exeter tweet. And even more egregious last week, I didn't get to speak about it last week because um, of the no podcast. But 
Sonia McLaughlin has tweeted that she can't apologise for it, she can't um, take it back, because it's a police matter. It's not a police matter. Apparently she's a journalist. That's what I heard. That's how she describes herself. She doesn't know the first thing about the police process. So, absolute shame. So, yeah, unfortunately we've got to put over those pundits still. What, what, what no would, Gareth Thomas. What I would say, yeah, no Gareth Thomas. That's, a, that's great news. That so is, finally, we're free, although free he, from him. He is. I saw he was advertised on a BBC um, like. Uh, discussion show uh, about the rugby. So not a main pundit, but he's still getting work. Incredible, isn't it? It's absolutely incredible. Uh, I, I'm not as invested in the uh, the, the Exeter Chiefs um, story as you, but just to clarify, I believe I'm right in saying Ugo Monier has deleted the tweet. You are 100% right. He has deleted his tweet. I wonder why. Oh, that's right. Because it's all lies. Never mind. Well, I'm, I'm not saying was, that, but it, I'm just pointing uh, out the I'm facts. Pretty, I'm pretty sure right now we can look back at this and say, oh, look at that. Race baiting lies. And that's that. That's what it was. And, you know, the cost for those two individuals, Sonia and Hugo, for tweeting what, what they tweeted, there's nothing. The cost to extra chiefs, we literally can't measure. We literally can't measure. Um, and nothing will be done and nothing will be said and it, and it will be completely buried. So... Back to the, should we go to the game, the England game? Yeah, so Gobbeasy and Gobbeasy look great. Um, uh, <coughs> I, I quite like Brax, uh, Tommaso Allen. Yeah, Menoncello and Brax is nice balance, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is. Um, they they are institutional losers at this point, though, aren't they? That's just what they do. They just lose over and over again. I think they're going to need some absolutely incredible world-class talent just to change the mindset of the nation. Yeah, that's what I think. I don't think having equivalent talent or talent which is nearly there will be close to, close to being enough for them to actually win a handful of games. Um, I think yeah, it depends where you set the target of their ambition. Because for the last um, twenty years, they win one game every four seasons, and they are competitive in one game a year uh, and this might this might be the one game that they're competitive they might actually win one more game but they're not they're they're not there despite having some lovely players that you you've just mentioned they've got some great players across the board they really have but the, but equally i mean if the high of last season was uh, they came within 5 points of um beating France or five points of drawing with France it, the opening game to last year's Six Nations they had 96 points I think it was put on them by the All Blacks 90 that that is there's no other top tier team or even not many of the second tier teams who would get such a humiliation so there's there is still a long long way for Italy to go yeah yeah completely Completely agreed. What do we think of um, England's or the New England England under <coughs> Borthwick one point one or two point zero or whatever you want to call it? The Jamie George era. Okay, I'll I'll say a couple of things. Firstly, before we move on to the new faces, I think that there is now that now that the moaners have got Owen Farrell off off the scene. Just make sure I get get a bit of fuzz in there. Um, <laughs> Now the people that, that moan have got Faz off the scene. There is this strange negativity. It's almost like the negativity is latent and it's there in the ether and it has to be directed at someone. And if Owen Farrell's not there, well, okay, they're not going to be satisfied. I've still got this negativity I have to get out, get out of my system. And it seems to be directed now at, weirdly, George Ford and Elliot Daly. 
It's like almost anyone that's been an England stalwart and an awesome player and he's 30 years of age or older. So he's just getting weird levels of shit. I don't get it. Where are you getting this from, Tim? Like, where is this coming from? As in, who is this? Who, is this a Twitter thing or is this... Because, uh, the reason I ask this is a genuine question. I didn't watch the game with any sound on. I watched it with complete neutrals. So like, I didn't get any feedback there. And I've not read the papers today regarding the England performance. So is there something in the papers? That is, no, this is, fa- this is fans. Uh, on Twitter? This is like, like whether it's Twitter, Reddit, YouTube comments. Yeah. Ah, your YouTube comments. Yes. Okay, that's quite a good way to engage. Right, yeah, okay. Well, I mean... <clears throat> Strange people going. Oh, I don't know why George Ford was starting. So it was like, I remember only three months ago when it was like uh, when George Ford was England's saviour, and people were outraged that George Ford was not starting at ten. I see the daily criticism. He's a thirty-one-year-old winger who's he, really good at rugby. But he is good at rugby. It's not like he's terrible. He hasn't been on form for a long time. I don't think. Like they, he, he, he was amazing in a World Cup semi-final. Yeah, I mean, he's just you know his club form has been okay. I mean, he's played, he's played. Yeah, uh, has he been like? I think people get frustrated when you watch Premiership week in week out, and the players for England are not the best players in the Premiership. He's been very good when he's played, but he hasn't been one of the. Pre- he's not. He's not Caden. No, no. Okay, and uh, Steve Borthwick did select on form, and Tommy Freeman was brilliant. But just just on Elliot Daly, imagine how good Will Muir would have been. Yeah, just on Elliot Daly for a second. Um, during the World Cup, he had an incredible world, he had an incredible semi final and was amazing and almost you know had a massive part in England getting to a final. And Henry Arundel, the guy that everyone wanted to be picked ahead of him, does nothing. Well, and also he's out of the line right now. But the thing is, with Harry, uh, Henry Arundel playing in France, as has happened to almost every England player, once you're in France, you're really coveted. Like you become the best player on the planet. <laughs> So that's probably something. It's probably something. Something in that too. George Ford has not been superb this season. He's no, been he, good. He's been injured a, a lot. Yeah, and I guess there's just frustration where you look at Finn Smith. Finn Smith is driving that Northampton team to heights that not even Northampton thought they could reach. So I, I get the frustration, but I also say it does seem a bit silly because, I mean, there's lots of reasons to pick George Ford. There's lots of reasons to pick him. There's lots of reasons to pick Elliot Daly too. Yeah, I, I don't have any issues with those two playing at all. No, I can't um, say that I do, to be honest. Yeah, it's they're both superb players um, with huge experience playing where you want them to be playing. So, yeah, no complaints for me. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say one more thing when it comes to England. Saying I think Eddie Jones, the more the further away we get from Eddie Jones, the more I think he might be right on his Test match animal thing. <clears throat> and I thought we saw two mm. we saw two more examples of that from an England perspective. Okay. Ethan Roots and Chandler Cunningham South. <laughs> Cunningham South looks like he might be an international player, doesn't he? He does, and he can't. He's, as we mentioned on last, uh, well, two weeks ago, he's not. He's kind of fourth or fifth choice in the back row for Harlequins, but in, <laughs> on an international field, he looks the business. <clears throat> yeah, he does. Uh, I have no complaints about him playing now. Zero. He looks dynamic. He looks every part an international player, which yeah, that's quite impressive stuff. I won't be surprised as if he does, next. As does to- Tommy Friedman. Tommy Friedman is yeah. a god. Freeman. Yeah. I'm certain he, of it. He he is superb. He's so good. He's so hard to bring down. He reads the game so well. 
and he's big, fast, and strong. And, and what, more, what yeah. more do you want? Exactly. And to, to dovetail, and I, I'm not getting on Henry Arundel's back. No one was. Did Henry Arundel even play? No, no, no. I was just going to say. It's like the third mention of Henry no, Arundel. What, what, what Tommy Freeman did do, which when we saw Racing last week and when we watched England at a World Cup, what, what Henry Arundel, for all his incredible things, what he didn't do, Tommy Freeman, just like Jack Knoll, who. By the way, Paul Gustard absolutely says that is an elite winger. Yeah, he's a big fan of Noel. A massive fan of Jack Noel. So, but Tommy Freeman did exactly the sort of thing Jack Noel would have done. For that um, Elliot Daly try, Tommy Freeman, the right winger, pops up in the outside mm. centre channel on the left-hand side. Yeah, and with England now, if you look at Daly and Freeman, both of them are very, very comfortable with moving around the park, trying to get their hands on the ball. It makes a huge difference, that. Yeah. It makes an absolutely huge difference. Whether they're too similar or not, I don't know. Because I know they're different in terms of like their raw pace. You know, one one can kick, one can be a secondary playmaker. But maybe there is some utility of having just an out-and-out finisher who lurks on the wing to do that. Although, I don't know, it depends on, depends on how you play. I, I like having wingers that make themselves available constantly and are a constant threat. Um, you mentioned Ethan Roots as well. Yeah. Who, he was man of the match. Yeah, he had a great performance. I I can't work out. There's there's something that's missing with Ethan Roots for me. Um, and it's not, it's not Ethan Roots. It's why is this not a dozen other people? As in, <laughs> Ethan, I mean. Ethan, Ethan Roots point. was um, second choice back row for the... Um, for the Ospreys last season, he comes into Exeter and he looks brilliant. And that's that's as much Rob Baxter as it is Ethan Roots. It's Rob Baxter identifying talent and getting him playing to all of his strengths. So brilliant, well done, Rob Baxter. But then he's he's a decent sized uh, back row and he's decently athletic. But there are at least a dozen other kind of foreign uh, from Bourne. Five years ago, could it be John Ross? Don Armand. Do, Don Armand, um, Hanro Liebenberg, Dave Ewers for many years, Jacques Vermaelen, um, Stefan Levis. John like Ross. Yeah, John, John Ross. Like there's, there are dozens who've played in the Premiership for the last uh, few years. Why... I'm, like, I'm not complaining about Ethan Roots because he was brilliant and he played superbly well this season. But like, I I clearly know I'm not good enough to know this and I'd, I want to know what I'm missing, what we're all missing that um, Borthwick and Baxter can see in these guys. I, I think you touched on something before, which was the Baxter connection. And it's, I mean, if you look at Roots, not to be unkind, he does not look like a top level international rugby player does he doesn't have the build so if you stand him next to think of someone who does for me so I don't have to think Peter Steftatoy perfect right that is uh, not only is Peter Steftatoy the best player probably the world has ever seen uh, but he also looks like the best player that the world has ever seen right that's just you know that that is that you pick some, someone else um, and you, you know you look at this guy and they, they will get in the team because they look the part Ethan Roots does not necessarily look the part, but he plays the part. And I think it's Rob Baxter's ability to actually work out what is necessary in a player and bring it out of them, which Steve Borthwick also appreciates. And I'm certain of that. Because why else would he be, you know, discarded from New Zealand, let go by the Ospreys, and here he is playing. But then I guess, 
I guess the bit then that doesn't because I I get all of that, but then why not Don Armand or Dave Ewers or well Don Armand uh, did make Marlon. it. He played one game. Yeah. It, I've got six in my in my head. No, well, he played a couple of games. He definitely went on that Argentina tour, and then he played against France. and then he played against France. But I think that's basically it. A handful of tests. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't know why not. Don't, don't know. He was. He was because he wasn't just he great. He wasn't just really. He wasn't just a solid player at Exeter Chiefs. He was the best back row player in the Premiership for about three years. I remember in the Premiership final, Austin Healy saying. And he's built like a skip. I don't know if that's a good thing or or a bad thing, <laughs> but he was very good. Um, so yeah. great, it's a good point, Phil. And maybe it's a uh, when you think about the players that England do not have and haven't had, Thomas Francis would be another great example. Um, well, um, look at the current tight head at Exeter now, um, uh, Aaron Painter. Painter. Aaron Painter. You know, he's obviously got some incredible qualities that Northampton just were not able to use. Exeter can. And that's what makes Exeter so special. Mm. Faye Waboso um, wasn't used. Do you think he was put on the bench, hopefully to force Steve Borthwick to use him so he's capped? Because it's a it's a very suspicious when the head coach does not use his bench. Well, he brought him on for for, for a little Did bit. He, Come on, yeah, him on for a little bit, yeah. Uh, what, yeah right, two, right at the end, two minutes. Yeah. Get his twenty. Yeah. He's get, the new. He's the new Dan Robson. Get his twenty k, and then yeah, that's it. I'm always suspicious when that. Yeah, when when, when that happens. I think it's, I think it's probably politics. Okay, good. Yeah, so that's, that's another one which Rob Bax has just sort of discovered. Although, how much discovering you need for a really fast winger, I don't know. So, anything else on the new oh, Ding Dingwell? Uh, didn't have a great day. He was he was at fault for the second Italy try. Mm. Uh, but I hope he gets another chance. I think so. I think you need to persevere with him. Just give him, if he works in that twelve channel. It will revolutionise England because it'll just be a problem that they don't have. They need to solve that problem. They need to do it now. And he's as good as anyone. Mm. Uh, sorry, I'm just I'm just looking up. Uh, Don Armand. So Don Armand has played, he's got two caps um, and it's a total of, so he's both off the bench, one, one against Argentina, one against Ireland. I think it's Ireland. a total of about 25 minutes that he's played for England. That is shocking, isn't it? Uh, Ethan yeah. Roots has already got more minutes on the field, as like three oh, more than three times the game time for England than Don Armand had. The best player in the Premiership for three years, but half the money. Mm. So um, Don Armand got paid twice. Ethan Roots has only been paid twice. Once, so yes, that, that is true. <laughs> jokes, uh, half, jokes on half, Ethan Roots, I guess. Half the, mo- <laughs> half the money right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just let, let's just leave it there, shall we? You know, all we know is what we know. These are the facts. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point, well made. Um, okay, uh, I don't think there's much more to say about. It. Sorry, it's really difficult to podcast because usually when Phil's sitting next to us, I know when he's not able to talk because he's typing because I can see him. But when I can't see him, I don't know that he's looking on his computer, not not ready to talk, which is what uh, accounts for the gaps. Uh, so, so Phil, just as an Englishman, I was fairly happy with with that uh, result I like initially I was a bit frustrated and a bit like oh more of the same but actually I, I you know personnel aside my expectations were relatively low because it's we don't have great players in some positions important positions and we're missing quite a few guys but I was I was encouraged by the a little bit more that the Steve Borthwick's sort of let it off the leash a little bit I tell you what I was disappointed by 
and I don't know if you guys noticed this, I thought Alex Mitchell was not only slow to the breakdown, I thought he's slow to pass the ball as well. <clears throat> like, like ridiculously slow by international mm. standards and by his own standards for Northampton too. Well, I think a part of that, because I, I did notice that a few times, there was he wasn't at the back of the breakdown. I think that's partly almost touched on what I was saying there is England were going a little bit wider a bit sooner. Maybe. But like, he plays for Northampton, this shouldn't be a problem. Mm. I don't know what it was, yeah, interesting. but he just wasn't covering the ground quick enough to get to the breakdown to move it. Or unless mm. England weren't making enough yards after contact to keep keep the ball up, ball up to get him there. I don't I, I don't know what it was, but he doesn't he didn't seem as effective as he does for his club. Yeah, he he wasn't as effective. I I would agree with that. I didn't notice the speed that much. There was a couple of times, yes, but um overall as an England fan Kind of nonplussed. Did did the bare minimum, which is you have to be Italy. Um, got a little bit nervous um, in the first half um, until things calmed down. And big negatives with the defence, but I'm sure that will come because we had big negatives in the uh, Sinfield era of defence, um, which ended very very well yep. from a World Cup semi final perspective. So I'm, and. Um, I'm certain that will come with under Felix Jones, unless he is just another another version of um, Matt Proudfoot. Matt, Matt Proudfoot or Ben Ryan syndrome. <laughs> it's not the coaches that are really good. It is the fact that they are coaching the best players on the planet. <laughs> and it it wouldn't matter whether it was them, Gautier, or me and JB yeah, exactly. coaching them. Uh, do, you know how, do you know how many tackles Peter Stafford would make if I was coaching him? Broadly <laughs> speaking, a lot. <laughs> exactly the you know, same number yeah, you'd make yeah, with, yeah. with you not coaching him. Do you know how violent Quagga Smith would be if uh, if I coached him? <laughs> pretty violent. <laughs> pretty violent. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, delighted with the the two new players I thought they both played um, or uh, let me be specific Freeman and Roots um, two of the new players who I thought were superb and one here's one bit for slight optimism uh, tight head prop is a problem position yep. um, Scrum was fine in this game uh, no major issues, although there was one late penalty against Beno Abano for an early bind, but that's that is neither here nor there. Um, Will Stewart, I had in my head that he'd be say thirty or thirty-one. Twenty-four. He's got, but uh, he's not that young. He's he's twenty-seven uh-huh. with with thirty-three international caps, so he is only really just coming into his kind of um, prime time as an international tight head. So, and he's got some good guys to learn from at Bath, um, particularly some of the good South Africans that he's got to learn from at Bath. So, yeah, maybe, maybe not all is lost. Maybe um, we have got some options there at, at scrum time. Agreed. Agreed with basically every, um, every, everything you said there. Um, what do you want to do next? Uh, next week's games or let, yeah. let, let's just child of your story because it has made the headlines it made the front page of the bloody telegraph I, i'll tell you what i will um yeah and the the big um bbc radio five hive live had it as their phone in on friday morning the day of the six nations uh, well, i'll tell you what so let's just just wrap up that so the six nations are as i mentioned earlier the, the big game the biggest of the games in round two scotland v france 215 on saturday at murrayfield prediction you're going for france france yeah france 
for uh, yeah, France. I think France narrowly. Uh, England v Wales at Twickenham, four forty-five. Got to be England. England. Got to, they've got to. <laughs> they have to. Uh, Wales and uh, Ireland v Italy on Sunday. Yeah. Ireland. Yeah. Easy. That was easy. I yeah. like that. Great. Yeah, I- Ireland by Ireland will get a handy bonus point win. Yeah. So who is this person or these people? These are researchers, right? So I kind of know this guy, I think, if it's the guy I'm thinking of. And I remember watching him talk and I remember thinking, God, what a pompous idiot. And um, the reason I know him is because he shared a stage with someone that I interviewed for Rugby Dungeon once called Dr. Darren White, whose name I can't carry on um, getting mixed up. Now, if you don't remember Dr. Darren White, uh, superficially sounds reasonable but actually his behaviour behind the scenes is absolutely abhorrent and he's the guy who did you know stupid things uh, like making posters uh, equating world rugby with smoking just idiotic, uh, idiotic stuff which is all basically designed to propel their careers rather than advance anything in rugby really uh, and they make their money out of telling all players they're going to die a horrible death and there's nothing that can be known and we need more evidence and no matter what evidence comes out we need more evidence and that kind of thing so he's one of them and they shared a stage together and I remember watching this guy talk and he tried to do it in a Steve Jobs style um, so he's very he's very confident of his abilities sadly he was far far too um, uh, confident of, of his abilities because he's an absolutely dreadful presenter dreadful and I think his name's Anderson is it? Eric, Professor Eric Anderson. Yeah, let's, this, this l- is the guy. Let's play the ball, not the man, though. This we'll, is we'll the, no, let's absolutely play, absolutely <clears> play <throat> the man. So I, I, I think with this, with this guy, you, you do have a guy who is, I mean, he's been pushing this narrative now. When I did the Darren White interview, it must have been three or four years ago, and this guy has been at, at this for about eight years now. About eight years. Uh, same with Alison Pollock. Uh, they're part of the same crew. And they always invoke the European Convention of Human Rights. This is what they do. Um, and it's about consent. So the argument goes something like, um, you can't consent for a child, and the child can't consent for a child, and therefore you can't play rugby. Um, so it's child abuse. But then, uh, can a child consent to go skateboarding? Can a child consent to climb a tree? Like, what is it that a child can consent to do? And it's just that what they do is they take human rights law, which is designed for things like refugees coming out of Syria, like really substantial, serious topics, and they try and apply them to things like rugby. And the re- they, they do so for many, many reasons. And I don't think they'll ever disclose the real reasons that that they do it, but they're basically cultural um, and political. This is really, in a lot of ways, like, a no story. No, actually, I'll tell you what the story is. It's not the story. The child, the story isn't a sporting story, is it? It's not a story about is there child abuse in rugby or does this lack of consent equal child abuse? That isn't the story at all. The story is exactly how are there institutions in the United Kingdom where someone like this can make a living on, I don't know how much a university lecturer gets paid, but I'm guessing it's like, Fifty, sixty thousand pounds a year, continuously for about six years, and no one decide. Well, not six years. He's been there like decades now, and no one say, "Hang on, what you're teaching and what you're studying and what you're producing is nonsense." Like, I run a small business. Phil, you you have um, a job where you're looking after figures and staff. Like, paying someone a substantial amount of money like that is is no 
It's no small feat. It, you know, it's really, really difficult. And yet we've got institutions, universities, no, no, no less, in the UK, who are tolerating this kind of research. And you think that the society in of itself must be broken just to have this kind of guy churning out this nonsense and be doing so for decades. It's, it's, it's madness. It's absolute madness. Um, I've got his um, Winchester... Uh, is it Winchester University? University of Winchester Ooh. profile in front of him. And I think, I think he's in, there's, there's definitely some overlap with his interest in yours, JB. <laughs> I can only um, imagine. I, I, do know, so, I, I can almost guarantee he'll be an LGBTQ plus campaigner. I, I almost guarantee that is that is what he's done. So his areas of supervision or his areas of interest, uh, research interests, include hazing and fraternities, that sounds like something yeah, you'd here be interested we go. in. <clears throat> here we go. This is valuable research, isn't it? This will get us up the OECD rankings. Please continue. Um, they're probably the only ones that you'd really be interested in. Um, heterosexism in there, the classroom. There we go. I knew it. I knew it. I, I, so, I know these things. But... So, go on. Socio-negative aspects of organised competitive sport. <laughs> Impact of... of imp- Impact of declining homophobia on gender. Hang on. Wait. What? Impact of declining homophobia on gender. These are important subjects. Please continue. <laughs> um, gay and lesbian experiences in sport, school, or relationships. And uh, cheating, monogamy, and relationships. Just some of the things he's interested in. Goodness there you me. Go. Well, see, I look at it like this. There are market force forces elements to 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 researchers yeah so if you are no if you are um a student yeah and you pay nine thousand pounds a year to an institution which produces research like this you deserve the garbage education (laughs) you get (laughs) yeah exactly if you are someone who employs people and you get someone with this university on their CV, you may well look at that slightly differently than you will at others. So there are market forces that apply. And, and I that- love that, Tim. I love that. However, you know what's going to happen to or most of his students. They're going to end up in HR departments. Or they're going to end up in HR departments or you know, middle management. Or they're going to be at like the DVLA, and you're trying to get your um, driver's <laughs> license, and you've got to deal with these absolute morons who are prioritising absolutely everything else in the world except for your driver's license. So, so uh, okay, fine. I'm, I'm, I'm all right with playing the man. Let's just purely <laughs> play the ball on this one the, 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 the point here is a a national newspaper decided to publish this story national radio stations decided to talk about this story when there they could quite easily have ignored it if they chose not to and part of that is because i think they recognized actually the reaction it would get would be anger of people in response well, so to it, I, just like yeah. we have. Can I just point out, there was another story, and I'll come back to this, because what you're basically reciting here is the Pollock Doctrine, which is you research your trash, sorry, you recycle your trash research every single time Six Nations is up. Yes. Because that's when you know to do it. Yeah. Right? That's what she does. You know, if you look at the research, it is garbage. I mean, like, if you speak to real, to real people, uh, in in this field, as I have people, I, I actually really respect. I'm not trying to make a difference to it. I, it's almost laughable. But the real laughable thing is they don't get the coverage. You know, the, the real researchers don't get the coverage. These ones with their trendy topics do. Um, 
There's a little bit of a Streisand effect here, though, because by talking about it, you're, we, we are elevating this garbage research. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, you know, in a way, like, if everyone's focusing on this and it's clearly uh, something that belongs in clown world, you know, fine. Um, there is another story that came out today in The Observer, and I think this is much more pertinent. It is about um, academic fraud. And have you heard of the replication crisis? Yes. Yeah. So um, apparently the replication crisis is worse than it's ever been. And most of it is all is in the social sciences. <coughs> now, the observer take the angle that it's from, you know, factory, what they call paper mills. So uh, people writing these false papers to try and get into journals and journal and people running journals, taking bribes. So they publish work and the rest of it. But ultimately, all of the research that these so-called researchers are creating cannot be replicated. And the whole point of the knowledge that they're meant to be producing is it can be replicated. That's how we know it's true. That's why you do experiments. It no, it no longer matters, really, in the social sciences because uh, 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 sci- they're completely broken. Well, the perfect example of, of this is the... Um, uh, what's, what's, what are they called? The, uh, the fake studies that those... Oh, yeah. Oh, the, the, what's, what are they um, called? Fat bodybuilding, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah uh, James, um, Lindsay... And Peter, Peter Bogosian yeah, yeah. and another person, Penrose, Helen Penrose, Helen Penrose wrote wrote these deliberately uh, to 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 expose how ridiculous these research papers are, these research journals are. Conceptual penises. Yeah, they wrote they wrote like um, they wrote articles like uh, why heteronormative rape in dog parks. In do- heteronormative uh, rape in dog parks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know when Phil just listed his this guy's areas of interest, I honestly didn't know anything about him. I just knew LGBTQ would pro- would feature pro- prominently, and bingo! It's like you know these people are so boring. You know what they think before you even, but, you even but, know. But I'm going to say the, these newspapers and national and national radio stations that decided to put it front and center because they knew it would get they're they're the that's the real issue for me it's like what are you doing even engaging well i think the problem here is like twofold like there is this national hysteria not national hysteria like there's cultural hysteria isn't there that there's certain hot button topics that we must talk about it's why ugo monio got so much traction for his um lies on racism and exercise i mean there are certain things that you say and it automatically gets traction and no one dares question you and one of the things would be you know, uh, sexuality or race or gender or, or or those sorts of things. So when you've got a, so, uh, you know, air quotes, academic, I don't think he's anything of the such, this guy, um, pushing these things, th- then the press, will pick, the press will pick up on it. And all this guy is doing is he's playing the game, isn't he? He's playing the game using some of these titles, some of these words, some of these topics which are inherently trendy in order to get the coverage to build his career. I mean, it's a game as old as time. <clears throat> yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd just say, finally, rugby isn't for everyone. And I think in schools, there should be an optional element if you really don't want to join in. <laughs> Can I just talk about but something? But, but the suggestion that it's child abuse is ridiculous. And one thing they never, ever mention in this, people talk about, like, oh, head injuries, dangers, all the rest of it. They never, ever mention the counterfactual benefits. I, just Yeah, this is an interesting point, right? So if you look at his area of expertise, I don't need to read a single thing of what he's written to know that... I'm going to disagree with it all, and it's all going to be trash, right? Um, like, interesting in hazing. Now, hazing's an American term, but we'd call it initiation. Um, like, I appreciate that people don't like that, and I appreciate that it is, um, you know, it is a, a bit of an art as to how far you push something like an initiation. But it's incredibly important, and it's certainly incredibly important to a bunch of men when they're bonding, because that's how men do things. 
And when you get well, these weird can, academics, and if, it, so if you it's don't understand it, it, and if it's if it's consensual, just you've got no business having well, any say. I on. mean, it kind of is consensual, and it's kind of not consensual, isn't it? I mean, like I don't really want to do the things that are going to make make me do, but I will do it. And you've got to know like, where is where is that limit? Because people do go too far, and they do push the limits. And at some point, when you push limits too far, some action needs to be taken. But that action can be internal. And I always think, like, will this make a good story in six months' time? Because if the answer is yes, we should definitely do it. If the answer is no, we definitely should not do it. But if someone uh, there said, "I'm not, I, I, I'm not cool with this," and I've seen this, so I coach at Manchester Metropolitan University, mm. and um, I, I see the, the the team I'm on. I'm on the WhatsApp group. I don't, I don't engage in any of this, these sort of comments, but. Uh, these sort of um, messages, but the captain will say, right, social theme for this Wednesday. And they seem to have a social every bloody Wednesday as well. Yeah, it's every Wednesday. Social theme for this Wednesday is this. People dress up. We're meeting here. We're doing this. If you're not drinking, bring milk. And that's basically it. It's like, come and join in. You can have all the fun, but no worries if you don't drink, just bring milk. Bring milk, bring milk. I mean, and we never had that in Bristol Ewey. I would be frowned upon. You know, it just says, doesn't it? I mean, what this guy doesn't get, because you can write about things all you want, but if you haven't actually experienced them, and he hasn't experienced them, I know this. Um, because I, I think I know basically everything about the guy without ever meeting him. Then, um, like, you can't really, like, really, really write like really right about it. The whole point of the initiation thing is you're with a bunch of guys who will do things for each for each other. Like you know that that guy will push the boundaries. That's why we do it. It's like a club, isn't it? It's like these are the things. Now I wouldn't do it now because I'm older, but it was massively important when you're in your twenties. I mean, pushing the boat out. You remember uh, Phil in Lancaster University? What do they have? Like the hard work desk. Hard hard work desk. The hard work desk, fun. right? Yeah. Hard work desk is yeah. if you didn't want to do your fines or some such thing, you were put on the hard work desk. You open up this desk. It's not an old school, um, <laughs> an old school school desk, and inside it was lots of alcohol, which you had to drink. You just had to do it, and no one's allowed to talk to you. They're not allowed to uh, speak to you. Not allowed to look at you, and you've got to have no fun, and you just got to have all of like all of the alcohol. That's funny. It's great. It's great, and like you go through. Yeah. Sorry, go on, Phil. I was going to say, it was whoever had been the most hard work in the preceding week leading up to that point. Um, so whether it's like um, refusing to do something or losing your kit or not going training or that kind of thing. And it's like a, almost corrective behavior. Like it's to, to set the standards. <laughs> and obviously, obviously, um, the, drinking, there are, there are other ways to do that. And not all drinking is good drinking. But it was it's just a good, fun way of getting some camaraderie. Yeah, I heard a statistic today, sadly, which is suicide is still the major cause of, um, a, a major, if not the most major cause of, mer- of death of men under 50. And one of the big things which they cite continuously is loneliness, because it gets more and more difficult for men to sort of communicate and more and more difficult for um, mm-hmm. men to discuss things. Yeah. And the problem we have is dickheads like this... Um, uh, like this guy pushing their worldview, which is effectively like this sort of like middle class female university educated like wo- like worldview, and they're doing things like telling men that you know you should talk, you should talk, it shouldn't be so toxic, it shouldn't be so it shouldn't sh- shouldn't be so so masculine, and it seems to be driving more and more men to do things like suicide. And men are the only people in the world that get blamed for their own suicide. I mean, if women were killing themselves at this sort of rate, there'd be all sorts of things done to you know 
stop it happening. It would be a, a national disgrace. But for men, it, do, it doesn't really matter. So men don't really talk very well face to face. And the lovely saying that I heard is they don't talk face to face, but they do. But 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 they but they but they do like to stand shoulder to shoulder. Which is why those like um, it's why rugby works for them, the, and, and why rugby works, and why those men shed things is the yeah. thing that pops up. Yeah, let's let's we're not going to come and sit round in a circle and talk about our problems directly but let's get together and build an engine yeah let's all have a drink or you know whatever the thing is and initiations and rugby clubs and all of those things do exactly that exactly that and you know as you get older there are different ways to manage that but when you're young you really need those social networks so this idiot and there's different ones as well like you say tim rugby's not for everyone but trying to you know describe it as you know child abuse when it's given me so much personally mm. i mean the abusive thing would be not to let me play but the, th- the thing is just to go back to it and maybe well, possibly where we where where we end and move on from but i honestly think the reason why this newspaper published it and the reason why bbc radio 5 live put it as their lead phone in topic for the day on friday is because the vast majority of people agree with you and i and uh, well, the three of us well, and they and that they knew it would get a reaction. The Telegraph put it up because, like, it just it, clicks. Yeah, clicks for their readers. Their reader base is like, is basically like us, isn't it? It's like, oh my god, this is ridiculous. The BBC put it up because they actually worship at the altar of credentialism. This guy is a academic. I mean, he's no expert on anything. I can I I can tell you that for free. Um, and it's basically run by you know white to middle class university educated women I mean this is what they like talking about this is what they think is important that, that's just you know if you meet all the producers they're lovely they're well meaning but that's just who works there that's the decisions that they make they probably thought it was a serious story and they probably thought it it affects various communities that's probably what they thought it, it, it was innocent but it's from their worldview, and their worldview is very precise and, and Sim I, I agree with you that the um, the pushback that we've all witnessed is great um, cause we, we've been in multiple, um, WhatsApp groups where everyone is saying, look at this, how ridiculous you're just telling one half of the story. The problem is that there are big groups that we're not in or not part of. And this is just another, um, negative mark for rugby. I'll give you a big thing to worry about or look forward to. So our friends in North Dorset, you remember them? Yeah, mm. yeah, North Dorset. Well, North Dorset are on a bit of a winning streak. In fact, I believe that they're winning their league. Do you know what happens next if they win their league? Do you know where they go? Uh, National leagues? A whole, all of Dorset? <laughs> That's right. Whole Dorset league. No, they go into the same league as Marlow and Aylesbury. Oh, can wow. You, can you imagine that league next year? That, I mean, why we didn't lead off with that story rather than... Bloody Six Nations! I do not. Know. Well, also, uh, I just um, I was just thinking, um, uh, Ma- Marlow got a win this week against Fullery- Fullerians. Yeah, also some sad news coming out of Marlow. Have you seen that? Seen that email? No, sad news and yeah. also sort of sort of like you know, I, I haven't seen. Uh, I haven't looked at any emails this week. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I will preference this. Uh, it huh. is from Marlow, and everybody except for Tim does hate Marlow, and right. Um, unrightly so. Uh, but sadly, um, they were playing a game this weekend. Uh, one one of their uh, lads, Tony Giles, played se- uh, second half against Falarians. Uh, and sadly, his uh, father 
earlier on this week passed away. Oh. So, so well done for for playing. Uh, Cl- Clifford Giles uh, was his father and uh, stalwart of uh, Molo Mo- Mo- RFC. And he can be very proud of the fact that he would have been one of the few men alive who liked Molo just like you, Tim. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Go well. Bless. Uh, and also... Uh, it's been pointed out by quite a few people on email that the biggest result of the weekend was in the Rugby Europe Championship, and this is not great when yes. you consider when you consider the World Cup three months ago. Belgium ten, Portugal six. Now that's um, disastrous for Portugal. I've I've not seen this or, game. Or great for Belgium. Uh, it's, yeah, great for great for Belgium potentially. Um, the last time there was an upset on Belgian soil, there was a, a refereeing anomaly, <laughs> um, thanks to the Romanian RFU. Um, now, I'm not suggesting that happened in this case at all. I've, I've not seen the game, but um, not ruling that it out did, either. It remind <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of that those sad times. But take it on face value. Fair play, Belgium, because uh, three months ago. Portugal legitimately beat Fiji. Yeah. Who were who are a hell of a team. So that means so. uh Belgium uh, Belgium beat a team that beat Fiji that beat England. So so Belgium are better than England and England uh, uh who who do England beat? England beat loads of teams. So well, in, but, in the last in, in the last year and a half England have beaten South Africa. So Belgium are World Cup champions. Yeah, Dean Ryan logic right there. Yeah, Check, checks out to me. Nice, ideal. Dean Ryan logic, um, you love it. But that that might scupper plans for us going to Lisbon. Uh, yeah. In, oh, because in, they're uh, not going to make the final. Well, they're not. They might not make the knockouts because if they, it it looked like if they were going to win their half of the pool, that they would get a ho- guaranteed a home semi final. But they're not going. To, it doesn't look like they're going to win their half of the pool now, so they're not going to get a home semi final. So, well done, Belgium, ruining it for everyone. Cheers, Belgium. Yeah, cheers. Right, uh, we're going to do a we're going to do a quick Patreon pod. Patreon.com forward slash egg chases is where you can help keep the lights on, support the podcast. There's so many people do, and we're so grateful for your support. Thank you for listening. Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Tell your mates, and let the boys end. <laughs> 